Disclaimer. Hey Cupcakes, this podcast is meant to bring awareness around said true crimes that has happened in our history in a subtle but entertaining way. This commentary is only my opinion based off of the information that I have gathered about these said true crime stories exposed to me from the deaths of the internet and documentaries that I have watched. Keep in mind that we were not there at the time of these crimes being committed, so all of this is really alleged at the end of the day. Feel free to do your own research to form your own opinion of what happened in the lives of these characters and victims that I am about to share. Some things may be too graphic for some listeners and viewers. That's why this is strictly for mature audiences only, as the unveiling of these crimes may have negative impact on your psyche. There will be talk about murder, suicide, descriptions of the scene of a crime, rape, assault, and more around these subjects. Feel free to exit at any time if this becomes too much for you. Warning, do not repeat or attempt any crimes listed in these stories, dumbass. And with that being said, let's get into the video. I understand perfectly. Murder! Hello, good evening cupcakes. How's it going guys? It's me, Sprinkles, and thank you for coming over here being nosy once again for an all new episode of Wine for Crime. I don't know what time it is where you are right now or what you're up to over there, but over here it's midnight. The house is quiet, candles are lit, the dishes are clean, and I'm in my silk pink robe with the lights off getting ready to tell you the most shocking true crime stories that I have found on the internet thus far. So if you could just set the mood where you are at right now and quiet things down for me a notch to welcome me into your space, I promise I'll take my shoes off at the door. But honey, when I leave, I promise you'll be coming back for more. John Wayne Gacy. I met him the night he was killed because I met him with Michael Rossi. I had a drink with the two of them, and then I left. And when I next seen the individual, he was dead. Why didn't I say something about it? Because it wasn't my business, and I say it out of other people's business. He was buried in the crawl space. When I come back, he wasn't there. So that's your guess as to who put him in the ground. That one mother that gets on television all the time who thinks I should be uh, given 33 injections, I think she ought to take 33 Valiums and go lay down. And welcome back to another episode of Wine for Crime. It has been a minute, guys, and I must say I missed you. Life has just been lifing over here, and all the while I'm like, I gotta get back. I gotta get back to my podcast. So here I am, back like I never left, wasting no time and getting right back to the next serial killer on our list. Coming in at number five, and no, this list is not in any type of order of favorites. 
I truly have no favorites here. That would be weird if I did. But I do, however, have sympathy and tremendous empathy of what they had to go, go through in their childhood, their so-called childhood. But after childhood, once they start murdering people and doing all that, I completely lose touch and I will never understand why on earth these murders did the things that they did. So there you have it. I have no favorites. I hope everyone's week is going by pretty smooth with little to no hiccups. You know, we are in September and summer is dwindling down and we are headed towards spooky season. So this is the beginning to the very best time to simmer down, grab your wine or your hot chocolate, smoke your weed, take that edible. Like I always say, whatever you need to do to help you become at ease to withstand this entire crazy ride of a story okay because they get crazy i know i say that about every story but this one is really crazy this is just i think he is just like i think all the killers want to be like him or something because they emulate him in a lot of different ways so this is the life story of the infamous john wayne gacy aka the killer clown or you can call him the clown killer I told y'all these demons have aliases and nicknames and i know you're like the killer clown what the hell but yeah you're right what the hell what was he getting into you'll see and it's about time we get into the story let's go john wayne gacy jr was born on march 17th 1942 welcome to the pisces club okay now go over there and sit down right next to eileen warnos who is also on our list and who also lost her mind and killed a bunch of men as well pisces it's just not looking good for y'all i'm just saying his parents, Marion Robinson and John Stanley Gacy Sr., were married and together for a long, 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 long time. He was born in a city by the name of Chicago in Illinois and was actually Marion's and John's first and only child. I'm so glad they knew when to stop because they literally bred a serial killer. So let's just thank the universe that this was a one and done type of situation. Okay, his mom worked at a pharmacy and she was a pharmacist. John was very close to his mother as they shared the bond of being the victims of John Sr.'s wrath, who abused the both of them regularly. His dad was a blue collar worker, okay? He was a functional alcoholic. The two of them had no relationship really at all. Um, the dad was always unavailable for him and his dad viewed him as a disappointment. <sighs> Little John was chubby. That's what we're going to call him. We got, we got several names for Johnny Boy because they decided to have the same name. But Little John was chubby and unathletic in his uh, dad's eyes and wasn't worth the love and fatherly bond that he would have willingly given his son if he would have met his approval so yeah like i said this man abused Lil john and he abused the mom on the regular john john did see this abuse towards his mom and it did indeed have an impact on his development and the way he viewed the world John Sr. would come home, go straight to the basement, and do his workshop. I have no idea what a workshop is, by the way, but that's what he did. He did that. It must have been so entertaining and interesting to him that he um, just got lost in a sauce because he literally never came upstairs to check on his wife and his son, his family, okay? He basically treated them like they didn't exist because he blankly ignored them and showed little to no interaction 
Now, who knows why he did it towards his wife, but we do know that he did harbor this sort of animosity towards his son because he felt like Lil John didn't live up to his persona as being a business-minded guy, man, boy, and being admired in the community like he was. I don't know why he was putting so much expectation on a child. Like, why is he being judged by not being business-minded? what do you want him to do have like a lemonade stand or something by the age of seven like I don't know but he was very very much verbally abusive emotionally abusive it was painful he regularly called him a sissy a mama's boy and stupid I wonder why he's a mama's boy maybe because he didn't have a daddy really to be a daddy's boy because you're beating and calling him names all the time being partnered with the fact that he thought so little of him he also regularly called him a failure and that he would never amount to anything are y'all following me how many of us can say that we grew up with someone who we think is supposed to be for us and breathing life into us every chance they get because hello they created us this person that's supposed to be our protector our support system our very own safe space actually is quite the opposite this is our biggest hater how many of us have a parent that you know was their biggest hater like this man tore him down every chance he got these are his developing years all he feels is hate in every way from this man now imagine growing up like this as an innocent small child what do you think he's going to do with this worthlessness and his future we are going to see but we can suspect that it's going to be anything but good and it sucks that it's going to be taken out on innocent people that has nothing to do with the dealings of his upbringing. Now, on to the mom, because she's not getting all scot-free with me. She's just as bad as um, the father in this situation, because although she's not the one dishing out the abuse on little John, she is in fact keeping and holding him hostage in a home, a home that's supposed to be, again, his safe space. From whatever abuse he may have suffered from the outside world, he's supposed to feel safe and loved and welcomed in his own home. But no, the mother failed him and did not protect her one and only son from this. There is no way that she did not know what was going on. I know, I know she knew he was in the room getting his ass beat. And I know that she knew he was calling him destructive names. I know she felt the anger and the annoyance steaming from her husband okay she knew all of this and still did nothing about it i mean it's one thing to let him abuse you but it's another thing to let this sick crap happen to your own seed i'm sorry once i see that you have moved on and you are now deliberately hurting my child my kids then all bets are off you get this sense of power as a parent to protect but again she did nothing don't be sad don't you cry just let go of your pain and when you fall asleep not tomorrow's a new day okay i'm done with her moving on to high school i mean john john just continues to disappoint his father he did get diagnosed with ADHD and he continued to be a failure changing from school to school. He had real problems concentrating in school. Also, he started to get a reputation as being a bragger. 
He would tell these elaborate, colorful stories and became one that could talk himself out of trouble with no problem. So here's a little unknown fact about Johnny Boy. When he was 11 years old, he was struck in the head by a swing and started to develop a series of blackouts. As his father never believed anything that came out of his son's mouth. Shh, be quiet. Okay. Also, since we are on to his school years, I think it's important that I point out the fact that he had a heart ailment and it was so bad that he had to take medication for it. And because of this, he was seen by his father as weaker than the other teenagers. So he was just an all around failure in his father's eyes. It's just no matter what he did, he just failed him. Moving away from his teenage years, we have survived the abuse, the schooling, the bad times, and now we are 20 years old. We are an adult, okay? We are in adult years now, and everything should be going better, right? I guess John had enough of Chicago and decided to start his real life, you know, the life that he is going to construct on his own without the presence of his father, the presence of his peers, and anything else that he's ever known. We are now making our way to none other than the city of Las Vegas, Nevada. My city. Oh, Lord. Why are you coming here, John? Well, he found a job cleaning up a mortuary. It wasn't the best job. I mean, he was sweeping and cleaning up after people alive and dead. But it was a job. And he managed to get this job on his own, hold it down on his own without little to any qualifications. It wasn't like he was the best in class or he graduated from college or anything. He was just proud of himself for getting out of his birth city and making it on his own without help from anyone. So got to respect that. He didn't get paid much of anything, but Gacy, now he's grown. So we're going to call him by his last name or his real first name. Okay. He's not a little boy anymore. But what Gacy enjoyed the most um, was that he worked alone and the only company he did have was the company of the silent, cold, and dead bodies surrounding him. This right here is probably what sparked and numbed his familiarity amongst the deceased. Okay, that's what I think. This just seems like the making of a serial killer to me. Like, imagine meeting this man at a local bar or something, and he reveals to you, you know, what he does for a living. The first thing you're going to think is, you're a serial killer. On a low, right? Well... I know for sure that's what I would think. Like, he is comfortable around dead bodies all day. Scream serial killer to me. Anyway, after three months of living in Las Vegas, he convinced himself to move back to Chicago. I don't know what it was, but he moved back and enrolled into business school. Good for you, John. You know what? Doing what your father always wanted you to do. Be a businessman. I wonder what his father thinks about him now. Anyway... Would you believe that John actually started to flourish once he started taking these classes? He started to see that he actually had a gift of gab and he began to try his luck as a salesman. This newfound love for sales gave him a confidence like no other. It just made him feel so good. He was finally good at something and this what he thought was his calling. He finally started to feel like he could stand nose to nose with the men around him. What a great feeling. At the age of 21, he got promoted to a manager position at a shoe store. While working at this shoe store, 
He realized his natural abilities as a charmer, his abilities as an actor. Keep in mind, these are natural abilities that most um, psychopaths possess. Him discovering the success he had in this field began to prompt him to think about how proud his father would be of him. Okay, so just learning this about him lets me know that he still, as an adult, yearns and desires the approval and validation from his biggest hater in life, his father, which is only natural. I mean, that happens a lot. In September 1964, when John was just 22 years old, working and managing the shoe store, he met his co-worker slash bride-to-be, Marlon Myers. The two were then married and life was great. Even Marlene's father loved John. He saw tremendous potential in him and proposed that he uh, be appointed as the manager of his three fast food franchises next door in Iowa. John took him up on this offer and the two of them moved to a city called Waterloo. They began life there and life became so good that they ended up having two children. So here's Gacy with his own set of children. Hopefully he is a better father than what he had growing up. Realizing that he is now a family man, seems like he flourished in his new role as well. Well, at least on the surface, Gacy was an all around model citizen. Everyone in the community loved him. He was very popular. He also served as a role model. He was a role model in all these political and business organizations around the city quite the charmer and just an all-around upstanding family man even with all of this recognition he still felt nothing it just didn't have any meaning for him because if it did then he wouldn't have gotten into the shenanigans that he did later on in his life what i'm saying is that he would have just been satisfied with his popularity and prestigious role in his community you know then he wouldn't have piqued an interest into becoming what he became that would soon come to shake and shock his fellow neighbors to the absolute core in the nearby future. So, this is the part where the true story begins. It all begins with the start of abusing young teenage boys oh at his big old age. I don't know what it was about these teenage boys that got Gacy going, but you know, he just couldn't resist them. There were quite a few disturbing incidents that Gacy was involved in concerning these young boys. I mean, this was the beginning. So while he didn't actually injure or murder any of them, he did indeed threaten them with their lives. In 1967, when Gacy was 25 years old now, he lured 16-year-old John Tullery to his home. His home. The two drank beers. He served this little boy beers, y'all. Oh my god. John, you you really wildin' for this. I guess he was just trying to show him that he can be cool, you know. I mean, serving him alcohol while shooting pool and listening to the the music blasting at his home. Even going to the extremes of turning on and watching pornographic flicks with him. Oh my god. I'm sure Tullery was having the time of his life. Well, until John got so turned on and ruined the fun by abruptly forcing Tullery on the nearby bed at knife point while also handcuffing him. 
okay handcuffing him following being put in a choke hold all at once oh my god how scary and john is big i don't think i described him to y'all this is a big boy john is a big boy okay on this little boy this little 16 year old boy this became his mo he would get the boys of his choice alone serve them alcohol show them pornography then unexpectedly force them into handcuffs and dominate them into this submissive like role and administer twisted sexual acts upon them following up with threats i've learned that on many occasions this has and never was reported once by any of the victims until this happened to john tullery he did report what he had to undergo at the hands of gacy and after this was reported the other boys soon felt propelled to tell as well because of this gacy was immediately arrested and behind bars at age 26 this man was a superstar and he was just so popular in his suburban town and now he's sentenced to 10 years on the charge of sodomy at animosa state penitentiary yeah pronounce that right penitentiary yeah this prison was so heavily guarded high walled and very much restricted you would think that gacy would be on the hit list he would be high on the hit list because he just did this with this little teenage boy but that was quite the opposite as usual with him he told on himself okay with confessions about how he was in there for showing pornography to the boys in his town but surprisingly no one seemed to bat an eye about it it's unbelievable how no one gives the boys the same compassion as they do girls no one cared at all about the sick acts that he did to them little boys with all of this gacy began to become quite the popular guy in prison with his new position as the first cook in the kitchen who runs the morning meal and the afternoon meal He'd only been there for a year and two weeks at the time. Now, I'm going to tell you guys a little story. It was a guy named Mr. Connect. He was an openly gay convict in the prison at this time. And he was playing basketball outside with some other inmates. And somehow, the ball got loose and made its way to rolling past John John. John picked it up and threw it as hard as he could across the way. And Mr. Connect's reaction was shocking. Well, was it? Because, I mean, he was gay. But anyway, he responded by saying, Miss me, miss me, now you gotta kiss me. <laughs> In this moment, John immediately went after that man. He had one thing going through his mind, and that was to hurt him very, very badly. And furthermore, killing him. To everyone watching, they got first row seats at the real monster inside John Wayne Gacy Jr. About a year later, Christmas time, John received devastating news in prison. He was told that his father had died from cirrhosis. He was not even allowed to attend the funeral. John was just a wreck. I mean, he was uncontrollable. This really affected him. While most of us would think, oh, it's about time he kicked the bucket. You know, that's what I thought. But, you know, all that abuse he poured onto him growing up. But, um... No, John really wanted to say his final goodbye to his daddy and make his final amends with him at the very least. So, gotta respect that. Which, I mean, I guess it's understandable because no matter what age you are, it's natural to always, 
you know want the approval of your parents but this just meant that uh john had to deal with that because he was not allowed to go in less than two years of serving his time there at the penitentiary i cannot get that name right penitentiary penitentiary i don't know you know what i mean gacy's good behavior must have paid off because he was able to be released from prison and let back into the world keep in mind that his sentence was for 10 years okay and he only served 18 months in 18 months he was able to convince everyone into believing that he had changed and that his past behaviors wouldn't be repeated this is who we're working with okay how do you convince somebody that you only gonna do 18 months out of 10 years what after all you know he made his way to becoming the head cook he was a part of the choir and he knew just how to use that natural born charm to get what he wanted and it worked because here he was being released early in 1970 now he's 28 years old and divorced you know his wife wasn't having that she divorced him while he was in prison gary moved back to what did i say gary <laughs> gacy moved back to suburban chicago and tried his best to settle down and began a new life leaving his past in iowa he wasted no time and married another divorcee and moved her and her two children into his home wow two kids with his track record of touching little boys this is insane i wonder i wonder if she knew because that's another topic for another day but you know i wouldn't be surprised if she did know because a lot of single moms are just so desperate that they wouldn't even mind as long as they have you know a man and they're not alone it's just sad he began to rise again as the model citizen in the community remaking his old life with a wife and two kids in suburbia that was until he was picked up by the police for being accused of sexual assault towards a teenage boy yet again he complained that gacy picked him up from the bus station and forced him to commit a sexual act but the case got dropped because the young boy never made it to appear to court so do you believe this i mean i mean i do believe it even if he never made it to court i do believe it my guess is that he's guilty once a molester always a molester period another incident occurred when gacy was charged with battery when a young boy complained that he was forced to perform oral sex <laughs> gacy and he is just not the best looking guy like oh my god it's not Ooh. imagine imagine he did it because gacy urged him as announcing himself as a deputy sheriff okay now we are playing roles now john this reminds me of the same thing that toy box killer did uh when he did that to the prostitute in the parking lot that one time when he said he was a cop this this is just weird but by the way that case never even went to trial another instance was in 1972 when a 15 year old boy by the name of timothy mccoy came up dead at the hands of john in a hotel room it was told that gacy picked timothy up from a bus station in chicago the two spent the night together and timothy was stabbed to death gacy would later claim that the killing was an incident and that it 
is actually self-defense. Stop lying, John. Just stop. You are not scared of this little boy. You're too big to even make such a claim. Just stop. Just stop. This came to be viewed as his first kill. At this time, it's astonishing to me that John was never arrested for this. As far as everyone was concerned at the time, Timothy just, you know, up and disappeared. Despite this happening, John was beginning to gain more and more popularity around the neighborhood. He would throw these big outside parties for 100 to 200 people. He would actually dress up as a clown to entertain these guests as well. It was a fun time, they said. Okay, now that's different. A little weird, but different. I, I don't understand why his Otis wants to be dressed up as the neighborhood clown, but I guess it seems fun. I probably would attend just to get out of the house. I don't know. Anyway, in the midst of throwing front yard parties, John decided to open up a business that involved painting, decorating, and construction. It's no surprise that he hired a team of young teenage boys to carry out the workload for him. These boys were so excited to work for him. First of all, he came off to everyone in the community as this big businessman with all this money. Nice cars, elaborate lifestyle, like, you know, kind of like Donald Trump energy. Like I said, he was very popular and very well respected around town. So when he approached these young boys who were making kibbles and bits at the time because of minimum wage and he's offering double that, they jumped on board with no hesitation. He was a closeted homosexual, as you know, and he had very sinister intentions for these young boys that they were very much unaware of. We'll find out more in the story, but just let me interject by briefing you on the fact that John's marriage life became a bit strained. His wife started to complain about John's violent mood swings and also often complained about him not wanting to engage in sex with her as his wife. Yeah, because he was interested in something else, baby girl. And that something else didn't involve a vagina. <laughs> She began to discover homosexual magazines throughout the house and was shocked. Now look, how was you so shocked? How were you so shocked about him having pornographic magazines around the house when you knew why he went to jail in the first place? Anyway, she found the magazines and wasted no time moving out and divorcing him. Wow, your second divorce, John. And that didn't seem to phase him because he wasted no time getting back out there and cruising the Chicago City gay district in efforts to find more young boys. Is it just me or is he always on a prowl? Like, cool it for a little bit, okay? You just lost your second wife and kids again. Let's take some time to let that soak in, right? That's what we should do. But he's not going to do that because this man went so far as to disguise himself in police gear and even place large like lights sort of like the real police lights like how they have on top of their car he would patrol the streets pulling people over and when i say people i mean young men pretending to be a police officer again this is the gay district he would detain these men and put them in the back of his car and take them back to his lonely home where he would torture them. 
boys began disappearing all over the city. These boys were selling their bodies on street corners. They were runaways or boys that actually worked for him in the construction business. It was horrible. Who is this homosexual killer on the loose? He would drug, handcuff, strangle, rape, and torture them time after time. He always picked guys that were attractive to him. The kind of guys who would never go for him if they had the real choice. He also had to pretend to be something else in order to lure them into his captivity. He really started to view them as objects for him to do with as he pleases. He really got worse and worse. And as usual, people choked up the disappearances of these young boys as just, you know, disappearances, runaways. No one seemed to bat an eye because it happened so much, so often. But all the while, there was a psychotic, sadistic serial killer on the prowl, and they had no idea he even existed. And this is how he just kept slipping through the cracks, increasing in cockiness without worry that he would ever get caught. On a night in March 1978, when Gacy was now 36 years old, 27-year-old Jeffrey Rigno was lured into Gacy's car like many others, but this time it was because of Gacy's offer to share a joint with him. <coughs> he jumped on the offer and Gacy jumped on him while <laughs> suffocating him with chloroform. He would then drive them to his home and he would force them to withstand the time-consuming, sexual, torturous, and agonizing acts. After being drugged again and again, Jeffrey was finally released from his captivity and awake under a statue in Chicago's Lincoln Park. Jeffrey did in fact report the incident, but per usual, he was protected by his false image as being a pillar in the community and well-liked. He was never arrested for this, as you can tell. This all changed when Gacy stopped targeting young homeless sex worker boys off the street and instead choosing to target a young all-american boy with a family that didn't accept bs and wanted answers this is when the unraveling of john wayne gacy jr began 15 year old robert peace was next on the list again all-american young boy loved by his family popular with his peers and being very well liked in his community as well on December 11, 1978, Robert was working at his job at the local pharmacy, saving money for college and trying his best to stay out of trouble. He was looking forward to attending his mother's birthday party later on that day after his shift. When she came to get him at 9 p.m. once his shift was done, he ran out and asked her to wait a minute while he ran to finish his conversation with the man offering him a job to work for his construction company. His mother was so happy for him, so she decided to wait for him. But some time passed by and her son never returned back to her. She couldn't find him anywhere and promptly filed a missing persons report for her son on her birthday. How awful, what a day. Okay, so when the mom went and filed the report, she mentioned that he was talking to a man offering him a position at his construction company. So the police took this information and went to the pharmacy and asked them questions 
centered around just that. The pharmacy did provide them with details about them working with a man who owned the construction company who happened to be doing some repair work for the building. His name was John Gacy. Got him. This is the first time they claimed to know of the name John Gacy. They immediately went straight to John's house, hoping to find the missing boy. They repeatedly knocked on the door. No answer. They began peeking through windows and cracks. While still no answer to the knocks, they did so happen to see John sitting in a chair, looking very comfortable, watching TV like a regular human being. And we all know this is not a regular human being. This is a pure demon straight from the depths of hell. Anyway, the police obtained a search warrant to search John's property for the missing boy because John wanted to act like he didn't know anything about anything. They saw straight through him and his piss poor acting skills. They got the warrant and began doing what they get paid to do. They searched so hard that they stumbled upon a hidden layer under his home. It was sort of a crawl space hidden under like a trap door in the closet. Wow, John. Wow. <laughs> you really thought you were going to get away with this. I can see where you were going with this. And I can see why you were so comfortable sitting in front of that TV because you thought nobody would ever be digging up under your house. So I get it. Gotta give it to you. Very original. This might be the first time I actually heard of anything like this. I mean, to live amongst dead bodies takes some balls especially dead bodies murdered by the hands of yourself i would be scared as hell to live with someone i killed man like think of the bad juju that would come with haunting you <laughs> every bump in the night i would be up like jeffrey is that you robert is that you i can't believe it this is so sick and you know what? i know it smelled in there because you know the the smell of rotten human flesh is a smell like no other but wait, they began to search the crawl space and came up with nothing. They thought they were onto something and they actually came up with nothing. They couldn't understand it. This man is a magician at this point. They just knew they were going to find something, but they didn't. There was no Robert. Okay, so what's next? Well, the police questioned and questioned John, but they were getting nowhere fast. But they can tell the more that they were on his ass that he began to crack. And I mean, he was cracking. They were everywhere, sitting outside his home, listening to his phone calls, following him everywhere. Wherever he went, they were right on his tail. It became too much. And, you know, he was just not used to being able to not do his funny business. And it was driving him crazy. Despite them coming up short and finding no missing bodies at John's house, the police did discover personal belongings that they suspected to be, as they would call it, trophies. Now, trophies, it seems like every serial killer has them, whether it's a collection of panties from their victims, watches, photos of them tied up, even IDs of the victims, just something that they can keep to remember who they killed, a collection of objects, you know. They started to piece together the missing boys around town with their personal objects in John's possession. They linked so many to these boys that were coming up missing and that used to work for him in his construction business. 
With all this newfound evidence stacking up against him, the police decided to revisit that suspicious crawl space under Gacy's residence. Here they are exploring and trying to make sense of this entire secret department under his secret closet of the home. And what do you know? A body began to reveal itself from the depths of the water that covered it. They transferred the parts to the body bag and went right back to filling underneath the water with their bare hands. Ew. So here he is filling around and filling another human's ribcage and yells back to the crew that, I found another one. They are shocked at this point and they're like, okay, send them up. Bam. Put them in a body bag too. They end the night by collecting a whopping, you would never guess, 29 young men's bodies on the property. 27 of them being found under his home. It was understood that John had kept these bodies so close to him because it was like an ideal way of him remembering and knowing where the bodies were. His ideal way of keeping control of his victims even after they died. John had nowhere to run. There were no more lies that could be told. He ended up just confessing. He confessed to the killings of all these men. And you know what? All but one. He said he strangled before killing him. He would choke them with a tool called a tenequit, I guess, to be exact, which is a tool that can be made from a rope and a stick that is generally used by normal people to apply pressure to a womb or a limb to stop the flow of blood in an emergency case. But in this case, in this case, we are working with a psychopath who was not trying to save and rescue anyone, but instead do the complete yeah. opposite which is kill the victim. He described how some of these would take up to an hour to finally draw their last breath. That is in fact torture. Neighbors around him were totally shocked and astounded because they declared John to be such a good guy that would never hurt anyone. He was a great guy, he was gentle, he was nice, he was sweet, helpful. For God's sakes, he dressed up as a clown and Put on shows for the kids. What on earth are you talking about? You found 29 dead bodies under his house. What? These were all real responses and real reactions. What on earth is going on? It's unbelievable at this point that you could be living right next door to a serial killer. With all those dead bodies found, none of them belonged to that 15-year-old boy, Robert Peace. They ended up finding his body in April 1979 instead. He'd been killed on the very same night of his abduction with no space left under his house to place this young boy. Gacy came up with the next best thing to do and that was to toss his body over the bridge. And he tossed it into the Des Plaines River. Upon finding his body, they also found three other boys that suffered the same fate. Moving on to February 6, 1980, almost a year later, John Wayne Gacy stood trial for the murders of 33 young men. 33 young men. John pled insanity in his defense. Like, did you expect anything else out of him? And just as I guessed it, the defense did not hold up in court. They seen right through this man, just like we did. 
And I don't know what he was so scared of actually at the time to go to prison for because remember last time he went to prison, he actually had the time of his life. He was in a choir. Remember, he was a frontline cook. He was liked by so many people in prison. So what was the hesitation for? I don't, I don't understand. He ultimately got sentenced to 12 consecutive death sentences and stacked with 21 natural life sentences. You know, they asked him, like, John, why did you do this stuff? They asked him just like that. Why did you do this stuff? He said very straight and to the point and this man actually said he had to do it he had to do it because some of them he was scared that they were going to expose him and others actually did threaten to expose him so he said i had to kill them and i quote this they were just human trash anyway so wow no remorse on may 10th 1994 after 14 years on death row, John Wayne Gacy was executed by lethal injection. This man never showed any emotion, no remorse, like I said, at all, just very narcissistic behavior. As so many psychopaths share the same personality as him. They are the only ones that matter in their world. They are so numb to everyone else's feelings and they make everyone else pay for the way their life ended up to be especially their childhood. They say narcissists are created from the abandonment in their childhood. They're just angry and they're holding on to this hurt. What I'm trying to figure out is what drove him to slay 33 young men? What was it? Was it the way he suffered from his father's emotional and physical abuse? Was it the blood clot on his brain from the accident, you know, when he was younger? Hmm, that kind of happened to son of Sam as well. Remember when he was a kid and he was running home from school so fast that he got hit by a car and suffered a concussion? Then he went on to killing six people later on in his lifetime, bringing it back to John. Or was it just simply just being evil and a born killer? I really think being a closeted homosexual played a part actually. He was embarrassed by his liking toward the same sex but he couldn't help it and it caused such a battle in his mind, body, and spirit because he felt like he had to hold it in. Otherwise, he was looked at as a failure from his own father because his dad actually called it when he was younger, always taunting him and calling him a sissy and weak. He probably felt like if he confessed to being gay, it's being looked at as disappointing and embarrassing and something to be quite ashamed of. This was a very different day and time back then, and it wasn't as accepted as it is now. But still, even with all that, there is still no excuse to just, because you can't live your truth, kill. These boys didn't do anything to you, but you felt as a child when you were too a victim and no one came to your rescue. I don't know what it is. I just thought that if I bring John's story to you guys, that you guys could better deal with anything you may be struggling with inside as opposed to taking it out on innocent people who have nothing to do with you in your internal warfare get help it's okay really i promise you do your shadow work and heal we all need healing i promise you are not alone okay i'm done with that but until next time my bloody cupcakes this is another episode episode five with our number five serial killer on our list john wayne gacy and you are 
tuned into the greatest true crime podcast in the world, Wine for Crime. See you guys Wednesday, next Wednesday, where we will be exploring the life of Edmund Kemper. Good night. Still can't get enough? Neither can I. That's why you should drop what you're doing right now and go follow Wine for Crime on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube for more. Become a part of our growing members-only Wine for Crime community. There, you'll be the first to hear about new episodes and lives with lots of merchandise to really make it official. Once you join, you're mine now. You won't ever need another true crime podcast again. You might as well write your name in blood. (laughs) 